0: This is a Sharp Old hat podcast and my name is Chris. I've had the privilege to spend yet another couple of hours with one of the most interesting people I've ever come across. His passion for and knowledge of music never fails to leave me amazed. And that's only a small glimpse at the life of this marvelously sophisticated man. This is a conversation with Peter Brazier. <laughs> So how did you end up, actually, in, in, in Kinvara? In Kinvara.
1: I well, I, I was living in France and running out of money. Which is and, easy in France. Which well, was easy, yeah. Um, so that was a sort of another whole story. But anyway, so that was the situation. And a friend came out who I used to play with in London, a fiddler. Mm. Very good fiddler. We worked a lot in London on the sort of bluegrass scene and and other musics and he came out for a holiday and I said, oh, I'm running out of money, don't know what to do, can't make any money here mm. and he said, come to Ireland, he said the, you know, the tiger, the tiger was, the economy was going on, he said, everybody loves music, you know, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. stay with me, we'll make lots of money and play lots of music and so that was, so I came and then yeah. almost immediately there was the collapse of the economy. <laughs> <laughs> so... So it was really it was really weird but anyway but by that time i'd connected musically with people mm. i had a lucky in a way luckily if, uh, there was a good guitarist here american guitarist who had trouble with his hands had carpal tunnel and he went back to the states oh, to right. have operations on that and um and i kind of took his chair you know he was sort of yeah. established here so and i took on the role of supporting a, quite a good fiddler who was around here. Yeah. On the York. guitar. I was playing guitar yeah. then, yeah, mainly. So um, so that was how I started and that was got me established. And then, you know, music's such a social world that you meet other musicians yeah. and then you get to play with other musicians yeah. and then and Kinvara's incredible. Yeah. You know, the depth of music, I mean there's vast amounts of your favourite trad. But <laughs> um but there's huge amounts yeah. of other music going on. Yeah. And yeah. It's been incredibly rich for me. But you're you're like a proper
0: musician. I mean, as well, in, like, trained and, like, from basically...
1: I've studied. I mean, I have studied, and I've yeah. always... I mean, I didn't do music at college, but I certainly... I was always interested... I mean, I was classically... Piano was my first instrument. Yeah. My mum was a good piano player. Oh, so, you come f- so you're she, coming from a yeah, musical so family. She, she, so there was yeah. music in the house. And... Um, and so then come the sort of teenagers. it was, you know, it takes me back here, but it was kind of like the first album of Bob Dylan, you know, that mm. that era. And then there was also, that was the blues revival. I mean, this is ancient history from here. But there were these wonderful old blues people who were being discovered again, okay. you know, and, uh, and they were being brought over to Europe. So I got to see some... You know, really major blues players right at the end of their life, and yeah. it was that was mostly guitar, but I was also interested in blues piano. Um, but they really moved me. I just, I just yeah. thought this was sort of the real deal, you know. And hearing John Lee Hooker and people like that, I mean, it's just like, wow, yeah. you know, fantastic. So that was the beginnings of guitar, yeah. and and the, you know, Bob Dylan when he started and. The Folky Revivals, you know, you didn't have to learn too much guitar to be able to do what Bob Dylan was doing on the guitar. Oh, yeah, you know, it was yeah, two three, and, and a half course, chord tricks, it. you know, so, um, so that was kind of an easy access. Yeah. So that was how it started. And then, uh, you can't travel around with a piano, but you could travel I did quite a lot of traveling. So guitar was, you know, yeah. around for a lot. But when I
0: say, like, proper musician, like, um, so classically trained on the piano, that would be your yeah. first instrument. That's fair. And then you learned the guitar. Like, did were you yeah. self-taught or was, did you?
1: Well, um, to start off with self-taught, you know, picking up chords and so yeah, forth yeah. and playing and jamming. Yeah. But then... You know, I've always had lessons. Yeah. I mean, so Ireland's, you have the m- music theory. Yeah, behind you music well. theory. Yeah. I was always interested in jazz and swing. I mm. spent a long time in the States. And there was a very yeah huge network of jazz players yeah. and a huge network of available teachers of very high quality. Yeah. So that was really my music education. My basic music education was there. And then I I also played... For about eight years with a Dixieland band mm. and who are very established. as in Wales when I was rearing my kids or around my kids being reared. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so that was fantastic. They had been together for 10 years when I joined them. Yeah. And I was playing banjo and guitar there, but they had a huge repertoire, a huge book of tunes. And... Uh, And they played every week in a jazz club. They were a residency in a jazz club. But they also used to be a pickup band for big American stars from the swing area coming out and doing tours. Oh, yeah. So that was very interesting. So we got to play with some extraordinarily accomplished American musicians who were in the fag end of their career. Like, nobody Mm -hmm. was interested in swing anymore, you know. Um, So they kind of, they were great musicians, but... The world didn't really want them. So a lot of them had chips on their shoulders. Um, But anyway, but that was a real musical education. And that got me out of, you know, folk music and all that was tend to be in certain keys. But you play with horns and then that's flat keys. You're playing in D flats and G flats and A flats all the time. So that kind of sorted out the keys.
0: But when I say that proper musician, so there's the one thing which I always say, like, um, is someone who knows music theory um, mm. in my book is, like, head and shoulders above any musical <laughs> talent I would ever have because they they, they might be speaking Chinese. like. But um, the second part would be then um, you basically made a living on music yeah, more yeah. or less throughout your life.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, from in the early days when i was in wales i certainly that was that band was I made a living and the first few years in the states i was in new york city new york city if you look at the new york times like every week there's like superstars playing new york you know mm. it's like people that i would travel to dublin to mm. see and so it's every week so and i was actually focusing very strongly on mandolin yeah. in those days and uh and there were two of the best mandolin players in the world living in New York. You know, one's a rather strange uh, a Jewish guy who's now a rabbi and only plays Hasidic music. <laughs> but he's Andy Statman, you know, who's a real genius, a yeah. uh, total genius on the mandolin. He was there, and there was another guy, Barry Mitterhoff, who was the uh, lead of a, the mandolin orchestra that I was in, and he was like fantastic player. So that you know, so it was actually. New Yorkers were used to hearing some of the best mandolin <laughs> players in the world. You know, so if you were average to like working hard and quite good, you know, it was actually difficult to get gigs. Yeah. Um, but um, but eventually, I moved out of the city and moved upstate, and then that was a kind of different world. And then I was mainly guitarist there, guitarist and piano player in the swing world, which was. Uh, just great. And they loved your accent. It's like, oh, I love your accent. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. No, so that, was, that was kind it? of, you know, so <laughs> you're a winner. You know, you go to the mic in the evening, ladies and gentlemen, and they like you, you know, yeah. uh, no matter what you prepare to give them. So hopefully, you know, we gave them some good stuff. But it was, that was great for me. Yeah. And America, America was always lots of, there was always more money around. You know, yeah. I, I remember like 60s. You know, in swinging London. It was just beginning to swing a bit. But America was, one had the war going on and segregation. So there was a lot of civil rights movement as well as the war. But all the students, you know, my friends were students in London, my friends in New York were students. But the American students, you know, the English student would have like five LPs, you know, most American students would have like a 100 LPs. You know, they'd have classical music, jazz, you know, and inevitably rock and roll. And so that was like, wow, this is great, yeah. you know. Um, so I always loved America for that, you know, this breadth of music yeah. that was available. And phenomenal radio stations, you know, college radio stations, giving out arcane music. Or yeah. on a Sunday night, there was like, Two hours of music from the twenties, followed by two hours of music from the thirties, every Sunday. I mean, this was—I was in heaven. But would you
0: would you then jump from genre to genre as well because of your musical ability in order to pay the bills? A bit, yeah. So if the country band came along and said, "Well, Peter, could you just?" um, Yeah,
1: I died by the last almost ten years that I was living in the states. I was doing a covers band, so I was playing you know, 60s rock and roll in country club world. Uh, And I never listened to it in the first place. I had to learn (laughs) these, you know, classic, you know, dancing in the streets and all sorts of strange stuff. And often, you know, mainly as a guitarist, but often as a piano player. So that was new to me. And it was was nice playing to the older people who'd been uh, young in the 60s because when they had lots of money, they go to the yeah. country club and they'd drink a few cocktails and have a meal, oh, yeah, and then only dance for like an hour, and then by 12 o'clock they're going home because they're tired, yeah. you know, so he wasn't playing you know, into the small hours. So it was a cushy
0: number in terms it was, of earning. Yeah, like. it was good.
1: It was good earning, and and it was very professional. The people I was playing yeah. with knew what they were doing.
0: But that was all about like playing. You wouldn't have gone out and teach music at all in those days? Oh, yeah, I was
1: teaching. I was teaching in my community. Um, It was, I've often done the two. It's, you know, they often feed each other. Yeah. And uh, I had a lot of, lot of students in, when I was upstate New York, and, uh, and good students. And, uh, you know, quite a few people went on to go into the music business. And, And that was nice. And I had a little sort of guitar orchestra that I put together. And so it was very, not, not unlike Kinvara, you know, a small community yeah. with a lot of um, artistic people, yeah. you know, that place was like an hour out of the city. So that was, you could go, be in the city. So if you're a, a filmmaker or a writer and you'd made yeah. it big and lived in Brooklyn or wherever, if you made some money, you'd go upstate you know, lovely surroundings ah, yeah, exactly. and access to the city, but living in the yeah. woods. So, um, so it was a great place to live. Yeah. And Would
0: you like write your own stuff as well, and that you the ambition then say, okay, I'm proficient in whatever music I'm playing at the time. Like, um, I might as well record myself for yeah. myself. Or
1: I did, at that era. I wasn't really. I wasn't writing so much. I did. I did make a a mandolin album at one stage, a small album, yeah. eight tracks or something like that. And, um, and when I listened to it, you know, it was kind of fatally flawed looking back. Yeah. But it was, I didn't have an original voice. Every track was, oh, well, that was a bit like this guy. That was yeah, a bit yeah. like that. And yeah. those other people were doing it better than that. Yeah. And I was very aware of that. Yeah. And I didn't really build on that. Yeah. But... And in fact I've written more music since coming to Ireland I'm, I'm in a sort of phase now of writing.
0: Yeah you were saying there uh, you just finished some a couple of I weeks ex- like... Yes,
1: yeah, so I've, I've been writing, well I joined the local orchestra which yeah. you know has been fantastic catalyst for music in this yeah. community.
0: What do they actually play?
1: I'm playing well I was no, the, the
0: orchestra said what do they play like?
1: What do they play? Well they play all they've played all sorts they played some Irish traditional stuff okay. and I think some stuff that Gary O'Brien has written, and they're now doing uh, something that Steve uh, has written, quite a, a big piece. Um, so we're focusing on that. So it's very much local. But meeting so many, there's about 40-odd people in the orchestra. Forty? Yeah, I mean, it's it's big. It's Whoa. an extraordinary thing for a community to uh, do, and a huge amount of work around the back. Yeah. And they've had you know some concerts, which is great. And then I met a, a good cello player, a good viola player, mm. etc. So I put together this or yeah. come together with a string quartet, really. Yeah. And uh, you play the piano on that. I'm playing mainly the piano with, occasionally oh, okay. little bits of mandolin. Um, and that's that's been very interesting for me because I'm writing, and and so it's very interesting. You know, when you have literate musicians. You put the dots in front of somebody, we'll play that yeah. and here it comes. Whereas if you're dealing with non-literate musicians, people have to learn the parts, have sure. to remember the parts, have to put the time in. So it's a different game. Yeah. Um, and, But literate musicians have, you know, some drawbacks is they're stuck yeah. to the page. Yeah. You know, like, you know, non-literate musicians that are free can go somewhere.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, yeah.
1: So that's, you know, so it's kind of trade-off, but, um, but it's kind of, it's interesting for me, because, you know, in my dotage here, I only play now music with people I really like, and which wasn't always the case in the past. you go, with, you know, if there's a, a job, you do the job. Sure, sure. But, um, but now, I can pick and choose, so it's yeah, yeah, yeah. A, bit, a bit of a nice position. But come yeah. here when you
0: were in the states. Like, what are we talking about? The seventies and eighties, or um, well, sixties
1: po- originally oh, right. for a few years, yeah. and then then what happened? Then I came to Ireland for a little bit. That mm. was a, mooching around the west. Then it all rather blurs. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, end, I ended up in Wales uh-huh. um, with a small holding and children, and then then I went back to the States. Yeah.
0: But no, I'm just thinking about it. I, I probably romanticized this a little bit, but... Um... Just thinking about going to the states as a musician in the '60s, and um, then obviously coming into sort of the late '60s, hippies, flower mm-hmm. power, free yeah, love all and that. all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it would have killed me because I would have really enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Particularly when you when you um, you know when you're doing music, you're not uh, um, a painter, block layer, or accountant. No, no. I mean, it's... You know, there's
1: an attraction in that. Like, um, I'm sure you had a good time. Well, I was. You know, America for me was. An opportunity to make money. Yeah. And so flower power was going wrong, but I was like banking money. Yeah. Know? And that's what set me up to buy a house, yeah. you know, yeah. when I returned here. So I, you know, that's I wasn't really in the mainstream, although it was yeah. very politically active. Yeah. All my friends were very all Americans of my age were had the threat of having to go to Vietnam. Oh, so yeah, they of course, yeah. had to do something. So yeah. they made it, it was very political. And there was, you know, it was it was nasty because a lot of the long-haired people were loathed by most of the community. Mm. So they had a lot of aggravation and so it was a very confrontational time.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was confrontational time with segregation and yeah. the black power movement was very um uh, Vibrant in yeah. New York and that was very aggressive and very anti-white and yeah. in, in many ways And so it was an uncomfortable time yeah. um, But incredibly stimulating I mean yeah. far more than hanging around in London and everybody's going to all-night raves You know, yeah. it was kind of like well something's happening yeah. here And so I was I was working away, you know all the hours that I possibly yeah. could to scurry money away
0: so in other words, it was really you immigrated for work as a absolutely. lot of absolutely yeah
1: absolutely building
0: site works, but have that done was, you know, farmers, would have done mm-hmm. like... Yeah. and that
1: was where I first met Irish people. Yeah. You know, I, I met an Irish, yeah. I met an Irish guy on the plane. Uh, Seamus, his father was a lighthouse keeper in Donegal, <laughs> and we got on, we sat next to each other on yeah. the plane, and we were both young lads on the lam, and we went looking for work, and yeah. we went to Irish bars. I think we used to be called the Blarney Stone. There was a chain of Blarney Stones in New York. And the second bar, they said, oh, go down to the docks, you know, go and speak to so-and-so. And, you know, we got a job and they thought I was Irish. Yeah. Well, it's the network. <laughs> it's the network, no, you know, fantastic. Yeah. Fantas- Do you actually have any Irish connections? None at all, absolutely yeah. not. Like
0: Catholics. like she doesn't have any either. Yeah, yeah. in mm-hmm.
1: fact, it was a drawback because yeah. after I came back from the States with money, I wanted to buy land. you mm. know I wanted to do farming was what I was involved in the early days. and you couldn't buy more than a certain acreage. Yeah. You couldn't buy more than five acres yeah. and um, But if you had any Irish connections, it was possible. And so, kind of research, no, nothing. No Irish connections at all. There's still something going on. I I don't know the ins and outs, but about planning permission.
0: um, If people from, who are originally, or can prove that they're originally from a certain area there, they can somehow reclaim the family land and be granted uh, planning permission if they declare they want to live there. Right. Whereas... Anyone else, um, yeah, no me, chance. you, the next Spanish person, wouldn't have a chance yeah. of, of, of getting yeah. the planning permission. Like, um, But did you actually go to England then back in the late 70s?
1: Yeah, I was to and fro. I mean, it, as I say, memory is not good. But for a while, I was spending six months in New York and six months yeah. in Wales. I was going to yeah. and fro. and uh, And then... Kids went to university, and then I went to the States to live. Yeah,
0: because no, I'm just asking for my own personal kind of preferences in music. Like the late '70s in London would have been my thing. Like, right. um, never mind the the Pistols itself; like mm-hmm. that was very short-lived. But I mean, mm. there's the Clash and right. uh, the Jam and all that sort yeah, of. Yeah, there was British all that stuff happening that going on. on. Because that's what I grew up on. Just a couple of years later, like kind yeah, of punk yeah. was on the way out when I became of age then, and uh, yeah, but punk was my thing. Like, but right. you didn't you didn't see that? Yeah, now.
1: no. I'm, I mean, I was a different era. So you know, when I was left school and I was first in London, yeah. uh, Pink Floyd were playing. You know, mm. so I'd, and mm. the beginnings of uh, I suppose the beginnings of psychedelic era and the projection, yeah. oil projections, and yeah. there were. I remember going to a club and. Saturday night, went with a friend, and I was very straight-laced. We went with jackets, like sports jackets, you know, oh, which was nice. kind of, you know, it's like something out of the 1950s. We arrived, and there's people in caftans, and <laughs> and I remember going to this club, and I think, oh, I can't possibly go in, like, you know, it's <laughs> wrong uniform. You know? And so the next next week, uh, ditch the jacket, you know, and it was, fa- <laughs> you know, And the music was, there was just stuff going on. Yeah. Just, so, you know, it was like, Crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. You know, I came from a very starchy background. Yeah. So I thought it was thrilling. Yeah. I would have loved that. <laughs> but um, h- how are you actually with, um, like, rock
0: music? Any kind of... I mean, it's all blues music, mm. yeah. in yeah. essence, anyway, any any popular music. The but cross...
1: Uh, there were was, was certain kind of the crossovers. Well. I was always listening to... Uh, I kind of was intellectually attracted to jazz. I didn't like it all, but mm. I was kind of... You know, I, I thought there's something... It's, and the kind of myth, there's something there, this is deep music, yeah. so I was after that. But the crossover for me was like, mostly acoustic blues was what I was trying to play a lot yeah. of, and then that went into rhythm blues and the Chicago blues and that, yeah. and that crossed over into rock and roll. Yeah. So Paul Butterfield Blues Band, which was, you know, just a wonderful blues band from Chicago, and then... Leon Russell, um, Joe Cocker, yeah. and, you know, had a big rock and roll and, you know, first class musicians, yeah. you know, really tight. And that was very exciting. Yeah. So that was, that was my sort of rock and roll. The Stones, yeah, it was kind of part of that. Uh-huh. Beatles were always, you know, beautiful and lovely music. That uh-huh. was so easy to like. The Stones was, I didn't like the attitude too much. Uh-huh. Um, that wasn't me at all. But uh Hey, they've lost and had good careers.
0: <laughs> well, don't put in the still past tense. Yeah, yeah, playing. yeah. yeah. And it's just the eighties now. Yeah. Um, no, but um, so it's like it's when I when I spoke to cats like there was um, like her um, passion for music and track music. In that instance, um, I will ask later, but yeah. um, like that really um, kind of got her into right the person she's now like <coughs> so very much interested in the technical t- side of things mm-hmm. like so you would have been more in along with that because when i played music it was most certainly about the party right yeah um, yeah I never had any interest in um, the finer details the fine and nuances detail. it was about the party yeah
1: i was just moved by music i was i yeah. had a very fascinating time when i was i was at uh, at school in brighton and there was a record shop in Hove, which is the sort of she end of Brighton. And above the normal record store was this little room, about the size of the room we're in, maybe a little bit bigger. And it was jazz and blues. And there mm. was this very large gentleman there called Derek Stuart Baxter. And he was huge and he used to drink orange pop all the time. <laughs> and he used to sit And his backside was huge. He used to sit on a James Brown LP. So that's what he thought about, you know, (laughs) James Brown. Um, So, and I used to go there and he had all, at that time, you know, it was the beginnings of the folk blues revival. So you couldn't get a lot of these these LPs were only available as American imports. So I'd go up there, smoke cigarettes. I was probably like 15, 16. And he would play me all these old blues records yeah. and then the jazz record. He said, oh, you should hear this and That was a couple of years. I would every time I could get to him and that was really great So he turned me on to extraordinary music music that became then became very popular Mississippi John Her, John Lee Hooker yeah. and also like things like Charlie's Mingus and you know, Roland Kirk and other, you know, extraordinary jazz players and There's a really funny story. So that was Tremendous input, and I was very moved by certainly the piano blues. And at that time, Oscar Peterson was coming over to the UK. Oscar Peterson is an extraordinary jazz pianist with incredible chops. You know, he was in the Guinness Book of Records being the fastest piano player ever, or something at mm. one stage. Anyway, but he was a phenomenal player. And I'd go and see him, and I knew that I, there's no way I could ever play like that. It was, I was very dispirited. But then I'd listen to these old blues guys who I could play the same notes and it moved me. So there was no, is this good music? This yeah. moves me. So they'd had a tremendous validity. Many years later, this is a curious story, many years later I'm playing in Wales in the jazz band and it was a seven-piece band and the trumpet player said, oh I'm going up to Brighton, I'm going to see Derek, you know, and I said, Derek Stewart So Yeah said, oh, he's really depressed. I think he was possibly a recovered alcoholic or something.
0: Okay.
1: So anyway, so uh, I sent a message. I said, you know, you transformed my school days. You know, he really did. He was a fantastic, but it was very sad. But it turns out he was a real expert on the blues and written autobiography, well, not autobiographies of Ma Rainey. And, you know, he was uh-huh. a major person in the blues scene. So that was a real bit of luck uh-huh. as I bumped into him. So that was, yeah, those days. But that was that was my first being moved by music. It was like, yeah, yeah okay, this is great. And then I just like playing. You know, I'll play yeah. um I've played a huge amount of different sorts of music, you know, yeah. all to, you know, not the highest level, but to what an acceptable level, you yeah. know, for performing. And I just love it, you know, being a yeah. you know, being in the orchestra here, yeah. you know, it's an amateur orchestra, but yeah. It's a thrill yeah. to play with that much, you know. And the fun of playing with people. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just great. And, you know, I often it's about being in harmony with people, about community, You obviously a yeah. community orchestra, but it's a very social, mm. and that connection is great. You know, you're playing away and the music's good and you look up and there's a smile and you're in that music bubble and yeah. it's cool, you know, it's a lovely place to be. And I've been lucky enough to have a lot of that. Well
0: that's what yeah. that's what uh, Peter Owen said. Um that he loves obviously it's a very different level, but he loves the local track group yeah, he yeah. plays with. It's just basically the community in the meetup every not every week, but most yeah, Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays, uh, just the camaraderie of the whole thing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, at that level. it's great. Yeah. But can you explain jazz to me?
1: Well, jazz <laughs> is uh, the whole world. it's basically about the essence from from where I sit, is about improvise. So you kind of, here's a tune and then you don't just play the tune, you play something else Uh over the top. So traditionally, you know, it started in New Orleans supposedly. Um, And the the guys of black community were like free Uh and very free musically. So that's when it began. Uh And and so they would be playing, you know, popular tunes of the day on the back back of really ragtime, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And they would be playing little riffs over the top. Instead of going da-da-da, they go da-da-da-da-da-da and uh-huh. embellishments and then whole lines. And then, you know, early days, then Louis Armstrong appeared, you yeah. know, and Louis Armstrong was a genius. You yeah. know, he kind of, his flights of fantasy from the 20s and 30s were just like astonishing. And I did a, uh, I had a class in um, in the States with um, a very, very good jazz teacher who's a um, jazz teacher at Berkeley College in Boston, which is the premier jazz yeah. college in the world. And the course that this guy did was to sing, to try and sing a Louis Armstrong solo. Yeah. You know, four bars, four, eight bars, something like that. And it was very much 1920s, twenties, thirty. The rhythm was absolutely straight. Chunk, 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 banjo, chunk, chunk, absolutely okay. on time. And there was probably half a dozen, you know, good musicians in this class. Mm-hmm. Nobody could come in at the same moment that Louis Armstrong started. And Louis Armstrong would play a phrase... And the band straight as anything, chink, chink, chink. There was something, blow something, and then he'd say things like "You dog, you." He was like, <laughs> like commentating about his own thing, and and the teacher was pointing out. And the teacher has um has talked about this and uh, written about Louis Armstrong a lot. Is that he was the, the greatest jazz person, even to this day? Okay. Because you know, most people think of Charlie Parker and the bebop, this sort of very virtuosic music mm. from the 40s um, that superseded swing. But um, but basically, it's quarter notes, eighth notes, like very quick, but very regular. Yeah. That, and so that's rhythmically, lots of syncopation and uh-huh. very, very difficult to play. But like Louis Armstrong is in another world. Yeah. You know, He's kind of completely free, but knows exactly where he is and yeah. he does it continually. And, you know, it's breathtaking to be aware. So that's, you know, so what is jazz? You know, jazz then changes, but it's basically about making stuff up and improvising and spontaneous writing, really. Well, that's what it sounds to me. But I I tell you where I'm coming from. When
0: I listen to jazz, and I've been to a couple of jazz festivals Mm -hmm. over the years, like, and I just, uh, it's actually in my list of favorites. Behind track music. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. It, to me, maybe I saw the wrong type of jazz and I could never really get someone to enthuse me um, and nudge me towards listening and examine it a little bit closer. Mm. But to me, it looked like there's eight people on stage and they're having a wank because everybody tried to... Outplay everybody else, yeah. and just grab as much stage time and and play as loud as they can to to basically shine the limelight on them. That's yeah. what it sounded to me, and that's what it looked to me like. Well, I, I just couldn't get it. It's difficult. At
1: all. I think it's very difficult, and also since 40s, 50s, it becomes more and more dissonant, and so it's a harsh form. Um, there's a very interesting. You know, within country music, the sort of jazz end of country music is bluegrass, yeah. in which they play tunes, sing songs, and then the various instrumentalists, fiddles, banjos, guitars, they play solos. So, yeah. this is the jazz element. And a lot of virtuosic players, you know, astonishing. You know, yeah. if you look at them as musicians, they're unbelievable. But there's a thing that I play here with Frank Hall, and it's old time music, and this yeah. is a forerunner of that. Yeah. And it's the supreme opposite of the individual showing his chops yeah, yeah. off is people get in the group and the idea is to like lose yourself in the yeah. group, so to not stand yeah. out. And I find that a very beautiful place yeah. to be in,
0: yeah.
1: uh, but I'm not a wonderful improviser. Yeah. <laughs> no. I think if I probably had more to say, I'd probably be leaning the other way. But so um, so I find a lot of you know modern jazz very difficult to listen to. Yeah. Um, often breathtakingly good technique, which you're always in awe of as a musician, you know, with these people. And, and, and it's kind of now taught, you know, it's now an academic subject, uh, whereas before it was a ground roots people, uh, you know, roots
0: music. And really. a uh, musicianship I get, like, I mean, bluegrass is a whole different thing. Uh, we went to, uh, that was in Hedford, I think, that there was this... They actually had a bus, which was great, coming from Galway City, going to oh, right. um, this place there in Hedford. Uh, it was a 20, 25-minute drive from Galway City. And um, <coughs> you went there for the night, you got your drinks, and they drove you back. And this oh, right, is <clears throat> 25 years ago, I'd say. like I went um, to those bluegrass sessions there. Mm. can't remember the name of the pub. Yeah. That was cool. I, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. really <clears throat> bought into this, like... Mm. Um, um, so, But but jazz itself, I couldn't get. But um, did you try your hands on trad as
1: well? Did you? I, I play, yes, I played a little bit. I mean, I'd be embarrassed to play trad in Kinvara. But yeah, when I was yeah. first learning the mandolin, I was playing Irish tunes. And yeah. In fact, it was in the States so I really was working on the mandolin. I yeah. used to go to Irish bars, which was very interesting because you'd be in bars and then middle-aged Irish woman would be singing in Gaelic and then you'd walk out to yeah. Skyscrapers and Yellow Cabs. So that was rather extraordinary. There was always an edge for me, because I'm obviously very English. There was collections for Norade, there would be anti-English songs sung, sure. and it would be uncomfortable, let's put it like that. I used to play yeah. at the Irish Arts Centre and uh, various places. So I, you know, I was trying to, yeah. but I had no idea of the... Complexities and subtleties of Irish music. You know, I just played a basic tune. Yeah. Now I can play yeah. that tune well. Yes, but what about the variations? What about the ornamentation? All the stuff that makes it complicated and interesting, and you know, a, a wonderful. But you vehicle. get that, yeah. <laughs> the trad. Well, I, that's I yeah, i I, can I had the good fortune. I was actually I was going to. Uh, I went to a concert at the Town Hall. Strange enough. Um, there's a ma- wonderful mandolin player in town called Brendan O'Regan and I went to a concert in the Town Hall in New York, which is a nice theatre and I went to see this Jewish mandolin player Andy Statman who's like, you know, total genius and he played with a very interesting band and they were playing klezmer music and uh, And on the bill was this Irish band called the Danon who I'd never heard of okay and so the think De Dannon opened. Anyway, whoever... And I remember an, an Irish guy came and sat next to me who'd had a few drinks, so he sort of slumped in the chair and I thought, oh God, you know, <laughs> Jesus, this is going to be a pain. And, uh, and De Dannon were on fire. I mean, Frankie Gavin, you know, he's a very fast player. Mm-hmm. And just like... I was blown away. This was like music of the height. I was just like I was in heaven. And then I got you know, my favorite mandolin player, played it afterwards. Bizarrely, I came here, met Brendan O'regan in town, and we just we used to have coffee together and chatting away. He was the mandolin player. Yeah. And he said they were right at the end of the American tour, so they were absolutely, you know, supremely together. And then bizarrely, I was playing in Galway. With, strangely enough, some Brazilians. There was a small Brazilian community in Galway. and um, and I met the sound guy from the same, from that same concert. I mean, it was like <laughs> the most extraordinary kind of sense. But anyway, so that was an introduction to unbelievably powerful Irish music. Yeah. So and I, th- I think most most music forms there's good people and there's extraordinarily good people, sure. and and when you get the geniuses, they. They cut through, you know, if you went, I went as a kid Uh. in Brighton to see Ornette Coleman, who was a very avant-garde, far out saxophonist. Mm -hmm. You know, very, you know, it was really cutting edge and it was like weirdest sound and everything. And i just read about him and thought, okay, this is, Uh. I loved it. I just, i was totally blown away by Mm -hmm. this concert. And I'm sure, you know, being the record, but the real deal, when you, I think, when you're confronted by a genius in whatever music forms is, it'll blow you away. Yeah, of course. And it's just like it's the mainstream or pretty good won't necessarily do it, but genius level, I think it will. And the more you know, um, well, the
0: more you can judge whether it's absolutely, yeah, very good or absolutely But you genius. can get,
1: you know, you can. It's often like, you know, taste is an interesting. It's like. Beer or whiskey or yeah. yogurt, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, when I was younger, you know, yogurt was unusual. Yeah, It wasn't everywhere. And I remember, you know, trying to cultivate a taste for yogurt and, yeah. you know, and it was really sour and I really hated it. But I persevered because I thought it was hip, you know, and then you end up, <laughs> you know, uh, liking yogurt. And I think it's the same with a lot of music. It's like modern classical music. Most sure, people yeah. go, well, this is awful. Yeah. Um you have to get used to it and you, I think you have to want to. One, you have to, yeah. you know, have the will to want to yeah. and then to spend time immersing yourself in these rather strange alien sounds.
0: Well, I suppose there's always, it always needs a trigger as well. It's usually a person that kind yeah. of brings you along. You know, of course, there are circumstances like, you know, you might be just happen to be in a place where a particular thing happens, in this case music, mm-hmm. like and it kind of grabs you. But usually you're being brought along by someone else yeah, who absolutely. you have a connection with and they nudge you in the right direction and eventually you like something. Often mm-hmm. enough, you don't like it and right. no harm done because you've seen it. But didn't you um, play with a Mexican group as well for quite yeah, some time? Yeah, there was a
1: Mexican crew here in... Uh, in Kinvara. It was good for for a while. Um, It was... Is that mariachi music? No, no, absolutely not. Um, Older music and and from the countryside. It started off, you know, Frank Hall, who's a very good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. is a fiddle player and his mother was Mexican. So there was a connection. So he was kind of aware of this music and I was kind of scratchily away playing the fiddle. And a lot of the the music was two fiddles. So we worked out all this harmony stuff, and then we collected a few people. Johnny Moynihan played with us for a while, Uh, John Martin, and uh, Paul Gunning. So we had all these um, people joined together, and it was interesting because I was playing at the time in a salsa band, and the wonderful bass player was a Mexican guy. I remember we played at Cool, and Tony, the Mexican guy, came over. He was a you know, wonderful musician. And he was, he was a sweetheart and a good friend. And, you know, he said how touched he was that we were playing this music because, like, this is very unusual music. But we had the great thing, like, Frank, we were, p- were playing in the pub. We were playing in Green's Mex- Mexican Day of Independence, Day of the Dead, da-la-da. We had yeah. all these various... Paper decorations from Mexico, so we'd have a whole night and oh. it's very nice music and so Frank emailed the embassy and said, duh, la, duh, you know, we're uh-huh. doing this uh, We're doing all this Mexican stuff and The ambassador who is this like wonderful guy said, well, I'd like to hear you <laughs> So he eventually came to Kinvara and he really enjoyed the music and the first First time he came and then we played and I think we played in the market possibly. And uh, anyway, first night that Carlos was here, it was two o'clock in the morning in the pub singing with us, you know, and so we went on to play like all these gigs in the embassy because there weren't many, there was no competition. (laughs) Um, So it was great. So we'd play for all these uh, diplomats and stuff. So that, that was really good. And he said to me, when he left, he went to the States. He was married to a, a woman from Tipperary. Yeah. So that was very spirited. But he said the best part of being in Ireland was meeting the band. He said, <laughs> yeah. He's an ambassador. He's a diplomat. So he, possibly not true. But he was a sweetheart and he did like yeah. our music. So that was... the And the, for you, it's relatively
0: easy to like pick up salsa music, pick up country music, pick up... Um, salsa anonymous. wasn't
1: easy to pick up. Salsa was very... Very difficult. It's very complicated, and what um, makes it so difficult? What makes it rhythmically? Um, I had a little experience playing with some Puerto Ricans in the States, and it's just a, it's a crazy story. Anyway, but um, so a lot of Latin music and salsa in particular has key rhythms that underlie, every tune Uh has its key rhythm. And nobody plays it, Uh you know, but you have to know where it is, okay? So one, you need to know where to look or how to look for what you're looking for. So I used to play with these Puerto Ricans guys and trying to play the piano. They were playing very complicated jazz. And Tom Lopez was the, the guy and he was a timbales player. And so I was. we were playing away and had the charts and it was very difficult and I was feeling very honoured to Mm -hmm. play with these Puerto Ricans and black guys. And so I was really working hard. So I began to take a piano solo and I go, stop, no, you've lost the clave. I go, what's the clave? You know, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So in the end, this guy used to, Tim Barr's is a series of rhythm drums and things. He would hit the clave, which would be like the bow diddly with that sort of bump, 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 Okay. Or of reverse. bump, So it would be one of those, or a variation of those. So he would actually hit that, you know, for the little idiot white boy here, and then he would also sing. There's syncopated patterns that piano plays in South music, mm-hmm. which is complicated and. Kind of egg-shaped. They don't repeat exactly, they repeat differently. So the rhythm okay. there's it's basically a two-bar phrase and you have a phrase where you're on the beat and the other bit is when you're off the beat. So you're okay. on the beat, off beat. And so so he the old Tom used to go you know, he'd play with one hand, the clave, this key rhythm, then he'd go ba 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 sing the piano line, okay, (laughs) while he was playing another rhythm with his other hand. I mean, it was most astonishing. So that was my entry into that. So, you know, fast forward to come here, and I had a very good friend who was a Uruguayan guy, and we had a tango band for a while, with Paul Gunning was in it, and a few people. And so we did that, and that went on for a while and then he started a salsa band which was a mixture of salsa and trad so it was a very you know kind of big deal it was great and it was a 10 piece band and so and they had you know I've had trouble with percussionists most of my life normally drummers are people like to make the most noise which puts them into a category of being you know the least musical and of course they're the most powerful so you know you kind of to avoid drummers most of my life. But this band had like three world-class drummers. They had like a Cuban guy who was playing what are called the sacred batter drums. And then there was a congero uh, playing congas, And there was a timbales player. And they were all like unbelievably good. Yeah. Unbelievably good. So I was really working hard to try. And I was trying to play an instrument that was... Reminiscent the piano line in salsa music, like da, 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 da these repetitive lines originally played on a stringed instrument. Um, a quattro. And so and then when there was more money around and they got more sophisticated, that line was taken by the piano. So I was trying to play quattro lines uh-huh. um, a little bit, but there was a piano, for a very good piano player, an Irish woman. So it was it was difficult. It was yeah. hard work, but it was a great band, fantastic energy, and we had a fair bit of success. But it was a ten piece band. I mean, you you couldn't afford to play anywhere, yeah, you know, or nobody could afford to pay you a real a real wage, yeah. you know. So that was a pity. But it was it was a great band, and of course the dancers great you know you get this vibe so uh. yeah of course well it's a
0: it's a party music of of a different kind absolutely
1: and it's you know very smiley yeah. you know people do salsa they're having fun
0: you know see that is just the thing i said it to peter i said it to to cath and they tried to convince me that in trap music um the trap music we can see here in mm-hmm. the pops like at whatever level they might be playing I said to both of them, they're all looking so serious, as if they don't <laughs> fucking enjoy themselves at all. Like, and both of them try to convince me, no, it's the focus that's required. They're uh, really yeah, concentrating. Yeah, 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 And it still bugs me, um, even after I haven't had that conversations, uh, reflecting on it. Well, it might be that they have to concentrate very hard, but please, cracker, smile.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's
0: that's the thing. And when when you explain salsa music to me, now, um, obviously I associate. I don't. Know all that much about Latin American music, mm-hmm. but I associate that kind of music with big smiles. Anyway, absolutely, uh, music should be about fun, and mm-hmm. the trap guys just appear not to have fun. No, <laughs> I was I was told that they're having fun; they're just concentrating, and
1: that's that's fine. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, it, it just looks somewhat joyless sometimes when people well, are I, concentrating too much on whatever they're playing.
1: Yeah, I mean it's very, and I think you know, if you see a group of people that's enjoying themselves.
0: Yeah, if you go it's down infectious. the beach,
1: if you go down to the beach and see a whole lot of young people having fun, you know, it feels nice. It's infectious. And I, it's, it's, it's very infectious. So I yeah. I really like yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people like play with their eyes closed, you know, string yeah. quartets, they're yeah. not smiling away most of the time. Yeah. Um, orchest- there's a, actually an orchestra in the UK that just started the last few years <clears throat> and they one, they memorize pieces, which is an extraordinary achievement. And they play standing up. And they talk about the freedom that yeah. they have. So they're not glued to the page. Yeah. And there's more communication between people. You know, people yeah. are looking at each other. They, they're they on top of the stuff. The trouble with that is, as a music form is, you know, if you're a first-class orchestra, yeah. that's an awful lot of musicians to be paid. So you can't rehearse for like three weeks. You know, you probably, you're doing a symphony, you might rehearse four or five times. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then you do the
0: performance. It requires a lot of training in order to achieve Mm. the level where you're so comfortable, you can play it with your eyes closed and standing up, standing on your head and all that, and crack a smile, sure. Yeah,
1: so, but they, you know, they have been talking, you know, I've had, uh, heard interviews of these Uh, orchestra players, and they love it, uh, but of course it's as a business model. You know, yeah. you know, there's music and there's music business and uh, and they're two different things. And the music business is pretty unpleasant a lot yeah. of the
0: time. Have you actually, and I actually like to come back to the music business as such, but uh, have you actually failed um, on any music style where you'd say, I tried
1: it and I just couldn't do it or well, wouldn't actually, want to do it? <laughs> um, well, I'm very interested in Modern gospel music. Okay. Which is just very, very sophisticated and shares harmonic repertoire with very modern jazz. And I'm continually falling short of jazz. I'm interested. Uh, I'm fascinated by the theory, but I'm not a great jazz player. You know, I'm a uh, mediocre jazz player and I would love to be a just fly, but... Okay, but mm.
0: you're still doing it. But let's just say um, hip-hop. I have... Very little time for hip hop yeah, yeah. as as uh, an art form, which I like to listen to. Even though I have great admiration for the concept of it yeah. that people actually, without any musical training, can have an avenue to express themselves. I get that um, how it, it it can be very engaging to people.
1: Right. It's
0: just not to my taste. But mm. I I for that reason. I would never want to, or to this point, I would never want right. to actually do hip-hop, just for, as an example. Um, and I'd say I would be pretty shit at it anyway.
1: Yeah. I'm. I, you know, it's got a lot of respect from the music industry and so forth, and I'm sure it's very complicated. It's, yeah. I've got absolutely no interest. But, you know, I had absolutely no interest in a lot of yeah. popular music forms. Yes. Um, you know, I'd be more interested in Greek music or Turkish music or stuff like that. Um, Also, you know, there's so many music I played, had the very interesting um, experience I, I, um, when I lived in France, I had a a friend who was a composer and he was very musically gifted. He was a professor of world music at the Leeds Mm. Conservatory, you know, really top of the tree. Gifted, he could play anything. Was a concert pianist, and he totally intellectually understood music on a very profound. So he'd studied in Cuba and in Africa and um, in Indonesia. So he had a all the instruments of a Balinese gamelan, which was a very small gamelan means orchestra basically. Okay. So. Um, And this was a group from the mountains in Bali and it was magic ceremony music. It was tooth filing music, Um, you know, this bizarre. And Mark had Mark Lockett, you know, wonderful composer and interesting musician. And he had all these instruments. So we had a little Balinese, Salanding, a Gamelan band. And we'd sit in market squares, you know, ping pong, ping pong, sounds like raindrops. Very complicated and really interesting. But it turned out we were the only people in Europe doing this. <laughs> so most of the time we'd be sitting on the floor, on the ground yeah. in French markets, but every now and again, we'd play like really cool festivals yeah. because, so that was that was really interesting. He was also uh, a very avant-garde composer. And we used to, and this is kind of interesting thing about music that I'm not sh- sure I succeeded in, in any way that he wrote a thing reminiscent of, or as a, recognizing Sibelius. Sibelius was a um, Finnish composer who was, his music was banned by the Nazis as being too nationalistic and so forth. And he wrote, I think, seven symphonies, <coughs> maybe, maybe nine, maybe seven. Anyway, and he was a young man, and he did this last symphony, And then never wrote again. It's a bit of a mystery. So Mark wrote a piece of music that was for guitar, piano, and stuck record. The record was stuck on the last chord, Sibelius. (laughs) Wrote, okay? So it went... (laughs) and (laughs) And he'd written out beautiful writing, this huge sheet of music. And each bar was one chord, and there was, I think, ten notes in each bar that uh, I could play randomly. Yeah. Okay. So this is, you know, so it's not my idea of music. You know, it's kind of like noise. Um, but anyway, Mark was very ser- serious, and we played this in a big chateau. Mm-hmm. The big artworks on the wall, and it was long. It you know went on for twenty minutes, and we were wearing black, which seems to be de rigueur. When we're um, playing avant-garde music, and so at one point we played something that seemed to fit really quite nice. And I looked at Mark and smiled. I thought, and then I suddenly thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have smiled. You know, this is the, this music is very Serious, you know. Um, but that was he, We did some very interesting avant-garde things. I once played uh, guitar through a, through the guts of a piano, so it, all the sympathetic mm-hmm. strings would work. He wrote that. uh, fascinating you know, interesting, but not music I respond to. Um, I had a a piano teacher once who was one foot, she was actually deaf. It was (laughs) (laughs) was just (laughs) Beethoven the end. So it was Beethoven. You know, anyway, so Josephine was this fabulous, bright woman. She had a degree in classics, and then she did a degree in music. So I couldn't speak to her on the phone, had to go through an intermediate, but she mm-hmm. would lean right up close to the piano. She, You know, deaf doesn't necessarily mean completely deaf, but, yeah, you know, affecting the vibration So, it, yeah. um, and she taught me, and um, I'm not sure. So we would, yeah, so she really, like, she would actually take a line of, Ancient Greek poetry, yeah. and then assign a, every note of the Greek alphabet yeah. a letter, and then would play that. So that was kind of really strange. So I was really bumping into something that I was, okay, this is a new world for me. And we were playing some Bartok, you know, modern. I was just before I started teaching seriously uh, piano, I thought I'd better have some classical lessons. I haven't yeah. done that for a while. So working on this Bartok. And so we came across a when I look at music, I kind of analyze it and go, oh, that's an E flat chord, and my fingers yeah. know how to do an E flat chord. So that helps me. It's my sort of great help. So I kept, we we're working through this thing, very lots of excruciating sounds, and suddenly, <laughs> play this chord. And I, yeah. So I said, what's that chord? You know, oh, that's not, you know, you can't call it a chord. Mm-hmm. It's called a note cluster, which means you can't analyze it. Mm-hmm. So I said to Josephine, who was, you know, much younger than I was, I said, "Oh, I have trouble with this modern music." And her response was, "Well, Bartok's not modern; he's a hundred years old." <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, it was very, very interesting. This different world, but there's that art construction, yeah. you know. So it's cerebral, it's sound. Yeah. So all those, you know, okay, that's fine. I respond to music that. That's, I'm kind of interested in the intellectual process,
0: yeah.
1: but the result, i most of the time I'm really not interested, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, the serialists and a lot of modernists follow a 12-tone system, which is another whole system of looking at music and music theory. Yeah. It doesn't talk to me in any way at all. Yeah. Um, so, and I've just followed my nose, you know, things I like and things i bumped into. Yeah. And it's, it's been a rich bumping into. Do (laughs) do you
0: know anything about electronic dance music? Not really, no. Excellent, because that comes in my list of preferences even after jazz, oh, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the most horrible thing. Like I, I, used to when I was a student. I used to work in a factory, in a car factory, every summer. Like, all and, right, and that's what it sounds to me like. Okay. Um, now, funny enough, a good friend of mine back in Berlin, uh, brought me to this uh, EDM nightclub, and well, I spent about an hour there before I really took flight. And I was, <laughs> I was sufficiently drunk at that time yeah. where I could have suffered pretty much anything, but right. this I couldn't bear. But um, Having had that experience, I actually read up on it, and there's a... Big science behind it. You can mm-hmm. make people do all sorts of stuff with frequencies. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not just the beat itself, like whatever, hundred and eighty-nine beats per minute, where something in your body kind yeah, of resonates yeah, yeah. and yeah. makes you want to drink and all that. But it's it's real science behind it that uh, makes uh, electronic dance music so popular mm. and a very viable commercial <laughs> enterprise. Right and. Now frankly we, we didn't even touch on AI, but um, to me it sounds like with any kind of DAW digital audio workstation you can put together a viable piece of EDM with a bit of knowledge uh, together in about five minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah.
0: it's ridiculous.
1: It, but, it is very interesting. I had a friend, a musician I used to play with <coughs> in the States, very interesting, very eccentric chap. And he invented musical instruments, <coughs> and uh, so Jeffrey was really nice. But I used to stay with him. He lived in Pennsylvania, really in the backwoods of Pennsylvania, where you know people still shoot bears with bows and arrows. Yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't want to. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be there, as far as I was concerned. But anyway, that's where Jeffrey lived, and he used to have these magazines about instruments and sound. Yeah can't remember what it was called. And I was reading one of these, and it was talking about a whole form of music that's sub-aural. So it's music that you can't hear. It's vibrations. And the whole thing is a big article, a very intellectual article, about the vibrations and how you can affect people's emotions. Yeah, And there was a ride in it that, you know, at certain frequencies, this can cause damage to internal organs. Well yeah it's 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 just pure science. So it's like it was fascinating I was fascinated by it. Also another which I found very interesting um was there was an article on sirens. Yeah. Okay? So police sirens, fire department sirens and the article was written quite a long time ago and there was a young Tom Waits. Yeah. Speaking very brightly about decibel levels and different sirens. He had a collection of sirens. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, Tom Waits turned out to be, you know, an extraordinary creative musician and who I like a lot. Um, so do I, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was amazing. But so there's this whole world suboral, you know, I'm not interested. You yeah. know, I kind of, you know, I, it doesn't tick the boxes that like spark
0: me. Yeah, of course. I saw, um, that was last year at some point. Um, this band, they're called The Who, H-U, um, it's, it's a right. band from Mongolia and they <coughs> have a weird combination of sort of modern popular music, basically rock music, which is essentially right. blues. But played on originally uh, on original Mongolian instruments, okay. and the singer is this Mongolian throat, yeah, throat singer. singer. Yeah, it's yeah. a really eclectic mix. Right. But uh, so I was I was watching a couple of videos of theirs, and <laughs> it was actually strangely fascinating. Right. Would I want to go to see uh, a two-hour gig of theirs? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. But just for about twenty minutes, I was utterly fascinated with that. Like,
1: are, well, I think it's absolutely. I mean, I went to a concert of Mongolian music in the states. And there was four of them, rather strange stringed instruments with carved horses on the Ooh. headstocks and stuff like that. But they're doing this throat singing where you you sing one thing, but you get a harmonic. So you get yeah. this, like this electronic sound. And this guy was really good. And he walked among the orchestra. I mean, it was like hearing a radio. Frequency. It's the it weirdest like, thing. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Do you actually ever go back to classical music for yourself? A little bit, yeah. I yeah. when I was a teenager, I just I loved Bach. I thought you know yeah. Bach was absolutely so. I I remember saying to my teacher, I only want to play Bach, you know. Yeah. And Bach is incredibly difficult to play, you know. He's yeah. you know an extraordinary genius. So I I go back to Bach occasionally. Um, the Italian concerto, which is like this wonderful yeah. thing, which which is comparatively easy compared yeah. to a lot of Bach's fugues. And, you know, he, there's this contrapuntal music where you've got series of lines, series of tunes, really, and they would join together. And Bach was a complete master of it. And it's, it's just breathtaking what was done yeah. um, by these people. So, yes, it's a challenge. I, actually, with Josephine, the, the deaf teacher... I wanted to do some bark with her, and so she said, "Okay, we'll do a fugue," and this was a four-voice fugue. So you've got basically got a theme comes around, then the theme gets played somewhere else, and yeah. the first theme changes, and there are four voices. So okay, so she says, "Right, the fugue. The way we learn a fugue is you write out the separate four voices. So you've just got a load of dots, but you write out each individual melody." So you've got to find it. So the top ones easy the bottom ones easy, but the two in the middle go over harder to see he said and then you learn the top and then you learn The first the second the third Individually, and then you play the first with the third and the second with the fourth Uh and eventually you put them all together And I thought you know, that's that's about like a year's work And I thought, I can't do that. And I had a friend at the time who was a wonderful uh, concert pianist, really yeah. gifted, who unfortunately died young. But, and I went to Simon and I said, Simon, how do you uh, learn a fugue? Uh-huh. He said, oh, you write the part. I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, 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 uh, amazing. Uh-huh. So, you know, the challenge of classical music is uh-huh. quite extraordinary, uh-huh. really.
0: But you would return to that for your own amusement. I love it,
1: you know. I yeah. mean, you know, melodies of Chopin yeah. Yeah. are just quite extraordinary.
0: I used to have a phase where I um was driving a lot, and I would actually uh, turn on the classical music stations mm-hmm. that were around in whatever country I was in, and I found it very calming. But um, it it was really driven out of me um, in school because I had this classical education, like this right. uh, humanistic education with a lot of music and music theory and music, um, like all sorts of classical music. I had to do one exam, would have been about maybe fifteen, maybe sixteen, and the exam really consisted of doing um, the bolero, the bolero drum part for as long as you can. So you got graded, I mean, it's a, it's a 22 minute uh, yes. percussive piece, and you got graded on um, how long you could keep it up. Like, so I kind of lost touch yeah. with classical music up until that point. I'm, Would have been in my mid twenties, maybe late twenties, where I listened to classical music again, but I kind of lost all passion for it. Mm. I must say, probably just through that education. But how how are you with modern music? Like, have you any idea if I asked you, um, do they actually do the charts anymore? Oh yeah,
1: I mean there is there's developments. I mean there are, it's um, there've been all sorts of developments in charts in which there's pictorial charts where it's like squiggles and stars and you're yeah. supposed to interpret that. So you're you're not telling them which notes to play, you're telling them a shape to play. All right. So this is kind of pretty radically different. Yeah. And sometimes you can have the the lines of the staff going along, you know, yeah. four lines, whatever, five lines, and suddenly they'll go up in the air. Yeah. Um, So there's all the experiments. There's this freedom of, you know, in many ways, you know, classical music and harmony that we find nice on our ears (coughs) has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay. So people try to extend it in the same way that Beethoven would introduce certain chords Mm -hmm. that at the time were thought to be very dissonant. We listen to Beethoven and we don't hear dissonance there, you know, we just hear Beethoven. (coughs) <coughs> so that process carries carries on so the people are always trying to push it um, it's bizarre like Josephine this this teacher used to I used to arrive for lessons and she'd put have a painting on the piano yeah. i wanted to play that yeah well, i'd just make noise and look at the paint you know and she'd go oh that's great you know but you actually seek new music i tried i i listen to I mean, at the moment, I listen a lot to modern gospel music. Yeah. That's what interests me. Um, There are other forms, you know, there's still... I really like New Orleans jazz because I spent a long time doing that, and I love that. (coughs) I love early piano players, you know, um, and I love Benny Goodman era, the swing era. Mm -hmm. There are pianists there. I'd give a... Half a leg to play like some of those yeah. people, you know. They're just exuberant. Yeah. Fat Swallow, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Joyous music, yeah. um, but virtuosic.
0: I find it just very difficult to actually discover any new music. I might get a piece of new music, which I like, which I would then constantly listen to for a period. Right twice a year if I'm mm. really lucky there yeah. would be years when I don't discover any new music, music whatsoever yeah. just can't bring myself to it I'm still going back to the music of like the the, the 80s the
1: 90s <laughs> yeah I think I mean I think you need to be it's like company you know most of the time um, the new music that I've come across uh, has been somebody me. Oh, have you heard this? Yeah. Have you heard this? And unless you've got a connect, you know, as we get yeah. established or yeah. middle-aged or later middle-aged, yeah. those connections reduce. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can remember the first time I heard David Grisman, who was like a wonderful mandolin player. And it was somebody in the States, I was touring around and somebody said, Oh, I, said, oh, I was in heaven, "In an yeah. heaven. And there were a few, there was a band used to play in Woodstock. Young guy, it was like three or four people, and it was tonal music, but it was like really interesting. So that was one of the last. But it's been a long time since Carl Jenkins. You know, the classical composer from Wales, fantastic. And that's I've you know heard bits of that. It doesn't happen often, and I'm yeah I'm surrounded by musicians, but musicians in Kinvara really. So that's the sort of known world. You you want. Outer worlds. Yeah, it's it's, it's tricky because I'm I'm not quite sure whether
0: I'm just stuck in my ways um, or if um, the catalog that's already there, say stopping at two thousand, just, just yeah. take a point in time is just too Ooh. rich. Like there's so much more I need to discover. Like I know still very little about David Bowie, for example, and right, didn't yeah. grow up with that. So I would go back to that. But in terms of um, Discovering new music, you're right. Yeah, someone needs to bring you along. Yeah,
1: I mean the the, the yeah. latest thing for me. I was um, playing in a brass band for a while, and um, and I was playing the trombone, which was new for me, and that was kind of interesting. <laughs> and and anyway, so I came across black church music, and there's a thing called trombone shout, and shout is in in gospel music. The shout chorus is where you're literally whipping up the spirit of the mm. people, you know, and it's, it tends to be fast and and driving and some people, you know, speaking tongues or all on the floor, yeah. you know, but it's intoxication. Yeah. And so that's engineered by the yeah. musicians on a regular basis. Yeah. Like every Sunday, we're, we're going yeah. to do, you know, there's always shout chorus. And there's a thing called trombone shout, which is a really, if anybody's listening to this, they should check it out. Um, it tends to be... Black churches. I don't think I've seen any um, white Baptist churches, and they play maybe eight trombones, maybe a sousaphone, and a very simple drum and maybe a cymbals. Yeah. And they play. And one fascinating one is they use a, a variation of Danny Boy. They start it and they start it <laughs> on a really slow. Da, 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 da. Yeah slightly reharmonized, so it's kind of slightly yeah. interesting. You know, not far out in any way. Yeah. And they tend to be, you know, black church goes, you know, very yeah. smart, yeah. very often overweight. But okay, very cool rhythm. Yeah. Nice. And they play the same thing. And they eventually build up into this they played for maybe quarter of an hour. But they <laughs> then ended up like just making sort of trumpeting noises. Yeah. Like and there's a whole feeling that Apparently, in this world, that um, the walls of Jericho came down. It wasn't trumpets; mm. it was trombones. That's that's, <laughs> the, that's the, 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 ba- the backing to this. So you know, there's this power. Yeah. Uh, but it's extraordinary. But yeah. and you know, when it gets totally wild, I kind of lose it. But the musicianship win it, yeah. and it's very like a lot of jazz. It's kind of loose, yeah. But disciplined at the same time. It's very difficult to put your finger on exactly yeah. what's happening. Yeah. But I, that's been the Thrilling for me. i like, yeah. wow, this is great. And there's also, uh, I've on the you know when I was in the brass band, I was listening to um, brass bands in South Africa, yeah. because you know wherever the church is in yeah. Africa, and such a you know huge continent, they all have different styles of playing, yeah. and they've all got this you know African rhythm, yeah. and they're often it's the most beautiful music, and yeah. certainly South African, very gentle. Know, with these brass, you're very heavy on the trombones or the tubers, you know, euphoniums, you know, where you sit in, in the middle of it, you know, and that's, I just found that absolutely delightful. Yeah.
0: But when you're like a, a technically um, accomplished musician and um, with all the sort of theoretical background and basically being a music scientist to some degree, <laughs> um, well, I mean, it comes with the territory, like, yeah, yeah. If I you mean, do something for long enough, like, you know, you can call yourself an expert or if you're very inquisitive you can call yourself a scientist it's more kind of a loose term if you want but how much are you taken actually um, by a singing voice someone who's an extraordinary singing voice but is technically not very good let's say Shane McAllen from the Pokes Joe Strummer from the Clash
1: Uh, yeah those people couldn't (coughs) really sing at the same time there was the charisma going with it does does a voice like that hurt you no, it doesn't hurt me. And it, in fact, it reminds me, when I was first listening to Bob Dylan, I remember... Bob Dylan kind of, couldn't sing you know, either. Right, you know, so yeah. he's got this harsh voice. Yeah. And I remember it was second or third album, Another Side of Bob Dylan, and there was a song, a love song called Ramona. And I thought it was just very beautiful. And I yeah. went home to my parents, I went, listen yeah. to this, Mum, this, this yeah. is really good, you know, it's very nice. She said, he can't sing. <laughs> so I was quite hurt and I, I had still hadn't learnt my lesson. Yeah. A few years later, I, um, my mum liked April in Paris, the tune, yeah. quite sophisticated tune. So I had a Thelonious Monk record and I only had about five records, yeah. but one of them was solo Thelonious Monk. So and he played April in Paris. So I said, hey mum, yeah. listen, to this is really good. He said he can't play. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that was near the end of, like, my trying to share music with him. Because Neil Young is the most fascinating guy
0: I find, Mm -hmm. anyway. The guy can't sing, Mm -hmm. can't dance, is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a rather mediocre guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the absolutely. piano isn't this thing either. Um, but but as a package, I mean I can't get enough of Neil Young. I mean right. the, there's obviously the charisma, and I, I said it to Peter um before as well that um, I was always taken by lyrics. I always right. wanted okay. to know what the <coughs> message in a song okay. is. Okay. Um so that that kind of brought me to Neil Young. But when you kind of dissect Neil Young's skill set, it's yeah. uh, <laughs>
1: It's hard. It's it's, it's it's somewhere else. I mean, I you know, there are harsh voices, you know, I love Janis Joplin uh, Joe Coco, you know, Marlis, these are, yeah. and then you have Probably a different lead, but a Rita Franklin who was just like absolutely wonderful yeah. Um, yeah. Most of the time I don't listen to words. I'm going what's what's yeah. the bass playing? You know, my ears go somewhere else in fact, yeah. so I used to play in a band a long time ago in Wales and we made a record and it was only when we made the record, I realised what some of the songs were about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Because I was just trying to play the mandolin yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. So, um, so it's, you know, my focus is always, nearly always elsewhere, with some notable exceptions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are no- notable exceptions. Um, Strange Fruit, you know, one of the most awful yeah. songs yeah. is, you know, you have to be brain dead not to be... Killed by that song. Yeah, of course. It's, um, it, it's
0: the poetry in itself, yeah, and that like absolutely. the delivery obviously is, yeah. is the old delivery is, is, is breathtaking anyway. But yeah. yeah, sure, the poetry and, and that words. was
1: written by <laughs> a... a Jewish guy from Brooklyn. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I didn't know Billy Holiday made it, um, made it into a masterwork. But yeah, yeah it I thought a, it was actually yeah, a song. Like, oh, very yeah. good. So um, yeah, so there are always exceptions, yeah. <clears throat> but most of the time. Lyrics, yeah.
0: No. Uh, but then the, the one thing I meant to ask, then and, and going come back to what I said earlier about the music industry, I was really mm. interested in because y- you played music for a long time as your job, mm-hmm. and um, you would play the wedding band if the wedding band played well, and if yeah, yeah. you had to play in a bar, you played <coughs> in a bar um, as much as any job. Like a painter doesn't doesn't ask yeah. like um, if the color he's supposed to paint the wall with um, suits. Oh, no,
1: no, he's the a, environment a, a, a he jobbing just musician. I mean,
0: that's... But, yeah, go on. Yeah, but how do you... Um, when you see, you now with all the technical um, and the really cheap technical equipment that's available here, mm-hmm. you know, basically you can record an entire record on your mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. With a bit of tweaking. Um, yeah, you got all digitized. Would that be something that... Um, you think would have appealed to you because, as a young young person because it would have given you so much more scope in experimenting and putting shit out there? Or would you think that this would have been actually an obstacle to you developing the musicianship you finally achieved?
1: Mm. Well, that's an interesting thing. I don't know. I mean, I think there's, you know, I've done a lot of playing and, you know, made some sort of living. But I would consider myself, you know, I haven't been a recording artist, I've been on records and so on the edge of that. But I've known a lot of people in that is the music business, you know, and that's where people make money and have careers and make often very big money, certainly in 60s and 70s, where, you know, if you had a number one in America, you could retire.
0: Um,
1: uh, But um, so that part of the music business is rotten. Uh, in many ways, sure. um, uh, you know, on the level that I'm playing, which is below, you know, big star recording people is, I think most musicians have had experience. You play in a bar and they say, well, they're going to give you the door. And they said nobody came in when the place was half full, you know, uh-huh. um, you know, that's so you're continually being shafted Yeah, by people, you know, it's happened regularly enough in Galway. You know, in mm-hmm. the big places, um, and it's very, and they say they're going to pay you so much, and then suddenly when you go to get the money, it's yeah. not that much, and and that sort of thing. Um, so that's the bit that I really don't like. I was never moved particularly to record. I loved. I haven't really thought about it, but I like playing music, and that, the fact that it's gone, it's totally ephemeral. Yeah. You know, so it's, you have the moment, it's totally living in the moment and the moment's gone yeah. and I'm quite happy with that. I don't, yeah. I don't feel, I never felt I've got something important to say. Okay. I just, just felt, I like doing this. Yeah. And so I've done it and I've, you know, lived in a time where I could do what I wanted most of the time.
0: Yeah. When you said that, particularly in the 60s, uh, when you are in America and it was very politicized, did that not kind of grab you to be um, with Bob Dylan and and march with that kind of music, march with the track and being sort of lyrically expressive?
1: Well, it, you know, it, at that time for me, as I said earlier, you know, I was really chasing money. Yeah. So the music and the, the protest songs was just the atmosphere within mm. which I was making money. Um, I did have an interesting thing. Some friends in New York had a rock and roll band and they went to play at their high school. And so they were a fairly wild crew and we arrived in the high school and in the gymnasium and all these very straight kids and, um, you know, who were only maybe five years younger than my friends. Uh And then after a few numbers and they were, Good. They were a good band and I was just sort of tagging along for the ride really and The lead singer said uh, I'd just like to announce that we're um, going to donate our fee for tonight to the uh-huh. Black Panthers uh-huh. Okay, and this was slightly upstate New York um, And it caused a riot. We had to get police escort out of the school <laughs> I mean it was it was just extraordinary. Yeah. So there was tremendously divisive times. Yeah um you know, equality of humans just seemed obvious to me. You know, it's just, you know, the music Absolutely. that I love, you know, it's like, why is this an issue? You know, it's kind of like, yeah. I couldn't see it, but I was outraged by, of course, everything that was yeah. going on.
0: Yeah. but it Still is. With the trombone, we should really, um, I, I spoke to Kath there um, a couple of days ago over the fence. And I said, um, after we, we did the interview, um well, maybe we should do the Guns of Brixton by The Clash <laughs> with the fiddle. like. <laughs> um, and I think I said that to you before as well when you told me about the trombone. like yeah. um, The trombone uh, and trumpets appear in one of my favorite genres, which is ska. Okay, right. <laughs> we should really get the Mount yeah, yeah. band
1: together like uh, with the fiddle and the trombone. And yeah, ska, you the really... The electric guitar. <laughs> yeah, you rarely hear ska these days. There's... Um... There's a really nice crew in Galway called Big Jelly, and they're playing bits of Scar and bits of all sorts, but they, they do Scar really well. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I yeah. there's lots of... Lesser-known music that's just waiting to go, you know, Calypso's, you know, from Trinidad music is fantastic, you know, and it's often scurrilous words and sometimes political words, which is relevant to Trinidad and Tobago, but...
0: But easily accessible for anyone who likes music, yeah.
1: But there's that, there's another music that I've only just touched on, but uh, there's a, somebody here's got a large collection, and it's called rebetica, and it's often referred to as Greek blues, And it was music of the lowlife, similar to tango or whatever, or the blues. You know, Uh this was kind of the... It was looked down upon by straight society. It was played by criminals and harlots, and Uh etc. And it's enormous. And there's... The Turks were in Greece for like 500 years. Yeah. And they don't like each other to this day, normally. Um, but so there's Greek influence, Rebetico and Turkish. But it's a huge repertoire, yeah. and it's it's Oriental, but it's not Indian music. You know, yeah. which is like you might as well be in outer space. You yeah. know, compared to the Western musical traditions. So this is kind of it's kind of just slightly Like Portuguese music. There's yeah. unbelievably wonderful music in Portugal. Um, you know, there. They're just there. Yeah.
0: Do they have um, on their those Indian instruments like this kind of looks like a sitar? It's actually called a sitar? Yeah, there's the a sitar. sitar. Yeah. do they have quarter tones as well? Oh, they
1: have micro tones. So in between. Yeah. So you yeah. have have a string there would be frets. Yeah. But you can bend the notes like an electric guitar. Yeah. Bend, um, but they also sing yeah. in these microtones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is a level of sophistication yeah. that's just my body. I actually met a, interesting for me, to, thinking about Indian music. I met a guy, Indian guy, and I said, What do you do? blah, blah. And he said, oh, I'm a student. So I said, What are you studying? And he said, I'm studying the drums. No, I was telling the drum, this was like a long hit, one hand, you know, top, top. You know. Yeah. He's a drum. He's like, okay, so I said, how long have you you know, been doing that? He said, 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, I kind of, and I was just blown away by this. And I thought, you would not find anybody, almost anybody in the Western world, right. yeah. who'd been playing the drum for 12 years and say, I'm a student. They'd say, I'm a drummer.
0: <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah,
1: you know, so the level of sophistication of this music is just extraordinary. I remember reading a review of a concert that was given at Carnegie Hall. And it was an Indian classical singer yeah. and she was talking about microtones. And I just read the review, but it was it's still interesting. And she said um, she was talking about Indian music and she said, um, here's an A, 440 kilohertz, or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Um, Said, and she sang that note and she said, well, most people here would perceive that as that. But actually, mm-hmm. that was like not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> and then she proceeded to play that note and then move microtonally to being purely in the note. Yeah. So this is, you know, beyond most people's hearing. Yeah, of extraordinary. Course, yeah. and there are a few people. There's, you know, an extraordinary young English guy called Jacob Collier, who's got unbelievable ears and sings Using these microtones, you know, how we've tuned the piano is a compromise. It's a very interesting and rather strange thing So but you it's It's called the harmonic series. This may be a little bit tedious for radio listeners But um, if you take a string and bong, it's a C and you cut it in half Bong you get a C an octave up and you cut it in half and you get a perfect fifth then you cut it but somewhere along the line that's the perfect. This is what Pythagoras thought about the mm. music of the spheres, you know, mm. this is the perfect mathematical thing. Mm. But actually, it doesn't really work when you start building chords, oh, yeah. you get out, it doesn't sound yeah. harmonious. Yeah. So for, you know, ancients, this was a problem because yeah. they, they thought it has to be, you know, this is God made world, you know, it yeah. has to be yeah. harmony, it has to be perfect, it has to be mathematically perfect, yeah. and so forth. So that's really interesting. But anyway, this guy, Jacob Collier, like, can sing in the old, in the perfect mathematical thing. And he's aware of it. You know, <laughs> he's a chirpy kid. You know, I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Anyway, so, so there are these talented people. Yeah. It's cultivated yeah. in the Far Eastern music. Yeah. And that, you know, and it's a level of sophistication that one can only gasp at.
0: Yeah, I suppose you have to be really into it. Again, the music, Musical scientist. Yeah, you take on a
1: guru, you know, you know and yeah. you study yeah. and you are humbled, yeah. you know, for like, I don't know how long he would have yeah. gone on before he called himself a drummer.
0: <laughs> Can you actually play the drums? Like, are you comfortable enough? Like, um, we have a gig in five minutes, no, we need no, a drummer. Absolutely. The drum, drum is, is, no,
1: absolutely. Well, the drums is extraordinarily complicated because it's like, you've got four things at once. You've got, you know, right hand, left hand, left foot, right foot. They're all doing things.
0: Well, three, like the left foot, never mind that, but
1: um, I'm sure well, you had could. have the high-fat, yeah. high-hat bass drum. Yeah. Um, so it's really, and I've never been around it. Yeah. I'm kind of interested. I did, I, when I was doing the trombone, I was getting into New Orleans music. Yeah. New Orleans brass band music is like just fantastic. And uh, so I thought, and there's a very specific sort of groove to mm. it. So I I thought, oh, great, you know. And so I thought, I'll learn how to do that so that when I come across a drummer, I can show them how to do. So I've listened to a lot of, you know, this New Orleans street stuff, uh, often called Second Line. And um, so I got a book. And it became very obvious that I thought it was just like a nice groove, but (laughs) these are like scientists. These are like, you know, research scientists. I mean, that's just like... It's really complicated. And they, the book that I had was talked about the history of it and yeah. had jug band music. Even then, in the earliest days, amazingly complicated rhythm. They'd really thought about it. Yeah. And so uh, I did... A, in that phase, I was actually going through... I came across a really good book called um, Drumming for Dummies. It's a, there's a whole series. Yeah, of, yeah. Know, the, 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 computer the, for Dummies. The whatever. yellow
0: with the, yeah. with the black writing. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I had that. And in the back of that, there was... There's something like the 32 rudiments of drumming. Mm. And there's like paradiddles where you have a pattern that yep. changes from one hand to the other. And like seven note rolls, yeah. 12 note rolls. And I worked assiduously. I'm good at working. I, yeah. I think I just didn't enlo- enjoy the struggle.
0: Yeah.
1: So I, I got quite good on that. Mm. I could do the rudiments. Yeah. And then, you know, and I've played occasionally in... Um, in samba bands in various yeah. parts and I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed yeah, yeah. it and, and that's you know challenging yeah, yeah. you know sitting in a complex rhythm being part yeah, of yeah. it um so yeah there's Andrew Collins has a a samba crew that meet from time to time and I have always oh, yeah, I heard that. about that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah. is it's great yeah. and again that's again yeah. one of these like the old time fiddling is you're losing. Yeah. You don't want to stand yeah. out in that crew. You want to dissolve yourself into yeah. that group rhythm, and yeah. this is what African drummers have done, you know, for centuries and centuries. Well, yeah, of course, You know, yeah. you, know it's, uh, you know, they're basically.
0: I used to play in a rockabilly band uh, many, many moons ago in Berlin, and um, I had to drum <laughs> the odd time. And I'm a pathetic drummer, but. Um, our drummer didn't turn up. He had a bit of a habit. And right. um, then it was really eeny, miny, meeny, Mo who was doing the drums today. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> who's the worst guitar player here? That was me. <laughs> you go behind the drums. like. Okay, yeah. and the main thing was basically get everybody drunk, get ourselves drunk, and mm. um, have a party. Like, But that's right. how I ended up drumming a couple yeah, of yeah. times. But I'm absolutely pathetic like
1: yeah. It's subtle, <laughs> and it can be... Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, it but can. it's a different type of music mm, like it's, yeah, yeah. any monkey could do it really just uh,
1: yes, keeping rhythm but I um, mean you keep you know keeping regular I used yeah. to play with this band it was the Dixieland band and they were they were all to me old guys but they were yeah. probably in their 40s or 50s and I was in my 20s but the drummer it was kind of was rural Wales they were playing the drummer you know had an eye for the ladies so we'd be in the club and uh and he'd be scanning the audience, like trying to catch some woman's eye. And while he was scanning the audience, he would slow down. And when he caught up his <laughs> eye, he'd do a flashy bit and speed up. And this was a regular, Alwyn, his name was. Uh, it was. It was just, it was just extraordinary. And uh, he could drum, you know, and if we were on like big shows, it would be. But that was fairly standard uh, jazz night. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: I mean that's the that's the essence of music anyway. To enjoy it and whatever Absolutely. whatever
1: enhances the enjoyment. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great. You know, it's just music. It's you know, it's gone. Yeah. When when it's played, um, wonderful. You know, life enhancing, and yeah. it means an awful lot to people, yeah. and it means there's something very interesting. I find interesting when you play music. You often play if you're in a band and you've rehearsed and. You know when you're playing well and you know when people uh-huh. are missing charts or the rhythm goes a bit raggedy or things like that. But often when you play badly and somebody come up and say, Oh, fantastic never heard you play better. <laughs> and it's kind of like you get, you know, so the first thought is, well, you don't know anything about music. Uh-huh. But the second thought is, well, maybe something else is going on when people are listening. Yeah. And 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 I think I think about this a lot. And what is happening is you project onto music it's it's yeah. like it's a like a vehicle you listen to it yeah you could say well this is perfect timing or this is yeah. speeding up but somebody listening to it brings whatever's going on in their life to it and if it's a celebratory thing and they're having you know and everything is fine and dandy yeah. that's part and it shares and enhances that sort of thing and i thought i find that very interesting it's such a curious that most musicians will, will, will have had that experience of somebody and, saying, great, you played really good tonight. And well, actually, any
0: form of expressive art, whether it's music, whether it's sculpture, painting, is yeah. reflective because it's um, whatever um, the listener or the viewer, um, whatever this piece of art corresponds mm-hmm. to the listener or to the viewer is then manifested safe in an emotion in the recipient of mm-hmm. whatever yeah. it is. And some people might like a piece of music, some people might like a piece of music, some people who didn't like a piece of music in the first instance in a different situation, in a different setting, in a different mood. They may have had just a very good day or a very shitty day. That piece of art would reflect and resonate with them in a very different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's what... So it's it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I love it. I
0: love it. Uh, Music Mm -hmm. is great. Any projects coming up?
1: Well, the big project is with a... um... I'm writing for this quartet with with me, piano. And that's fascinating for me because I'm having to learn how to write in harmony, yeah. which is, you know, complicated. And then having to know the instruments like the viola and the cello, which are kind of new instruments for me, what they can do, how difficult it is, what the sound is yeah. like. So that's a kind of learning curve, and I'm fascinated and you know, lovely. I've got these wonderful players, who you know, when we get together and we play, it's something that I I really like the sounds coming yeah. out. So it's the right personality. There and I'm really enjoying. Well, writing. they're
0: musical literate, you were saying. The, yeah, they're they're they're, basic, competent. Yeah, they're yeah.
1: very competent, yeah. more than competent. But they, yeah. we need to rehearse. I mean, it's sure that's as much the difficulty, as anything. You know, how do you how do you write? Do you write on pen uh, with pen and paper? Or I do write on use... pen and paper. Yeah, and then I then put it after I've rubbed yeah. it out a hundred times and rewritten it, and then scratched my head and played it on the piano. Uh-huh. Then yeah. I'll put it on a computer program. Which right. I've been very lucky that a local lad Yeah <coughs> Barry who's given me the programme and helped me yeah. write it. So I'm now more or less on top of that programme so that I can write more or less what I want to now with Excellent. So that's great. So we have
0: that we have that AI discussion some other time, I
1: suppose. Yes.
0: Because in a couple of months time we just got Alexa, Olga or whatever it is. Just
1: get it done. Yeah, right, yeah, so what's, what's the best way to write this chord, you know? <laughs>
0: While you're at it, get me a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>